We're looking at the seeds of the next crisis, Yellen's off-script moment, and a look at the week ahead. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Marvelous Monday. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hanson. What? You see, you see what I did there? Number one, I took Monday, mm-hmm. a day that people hate, and I called it Marvelous. Yes. It makes you feel better about Monday. And you also had that little alliteration there. That's nice. Marvelous. You're on top of it Monday. Today. I am on top of it. I'm ready to go. Speaking of ready to go, got to ask you, how would your bracket hold up this weekend? A lot of big upsets in the NCAA. It wasn't too good to begin with, but... I think I still have three of my four Final Fours. Do you? What about you? I've got two left. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, they're my two, they're, they're my two finalists. That's all you need. That is all I need. But they've got to hold up. They've got to hold up. They haven't... Everything else hasn't Who fallen quite my way. Uh, Louisville, same as you. Oh. Who's, your, who's your other? Tell me it's not Florida. It's not Florida. Okay. I forget. So when Florida ends up in the finals, that's how... Actually, maybe Florida. You. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. All right, first headline of the day. We're going to Bloomberg... And the headline is, Dying Memphis Neighborhood Foretells Next U.S. Crisis, Colon Mortgages. <laughs> Gotta love that, Colon Mortgages there. This is an excerpt from a book, The Seven Sins of Wall Street, Big Banks, Their Washington Lackeys, and the Next Financial Crisis. Look, David, when I look at the article here, the, the, well, the excerpt, um, there's, there, there's some interesting stuff in here. It's, it's basically about the... Uh, degradation of this Memphis neighborhood, how it's fallen apart since the financial crisis, and how the banks, uh, the banks and the government haven't done enough to come back from the crisis. You know, I, I, look at, I look at where we've come from since the crisis. I look at the capital levels of the banks. I look at the turnover in the management. I look at what the, what the government has done, the new regulations that are in place. I look at the divisions of banks that have been spun off. A lot has happened. A lot has happened since the financial crisis. I think it's easy, it's, it's an easy story to tell that, oh, well, nothing has happened, everything is the same. I think it's also an easy story to tell to say, well, we're going to have a next crisis and it's going to be just like this mm-hmm. one. But it's not. That's not the way it works. Correct. Just, I correct. think, well, <laughs> things have changed, but we do know that there will be more crisis. I mean, right? Right, yeah. So... In some sense, things haven't changed in terms of the banks will probably get involved in something and take it to the next level, maybe go a little bit too far. So there will be another panic, another crisis eventually. Whether it's mortgages or not, I agree. It's, it's probably not likely. We usually don't see things repeat themselves exactly how they happened. I don't think we're going to see exactly the same thing that we saw in 2008. Mm-hmm. All right, moving yeah. on to the second headline. Is that, are we satisfied? Yeah, that's, that's good enough. That, that makes me happy. Okay, I second mean, headline. happy. I guess that's the way. Going over to Reuters, Yellen's off-script moment may give good read on Fed policy. You are reading the Fed policy, aren't you? I know you love to base all your investment decisions by reading the Fed. <laughs> I base none of. Oh, I don't even know where that's coming from. I don't base any of my love decisions. The Fed. On, I like to talk about the Fed because that's what people are watching. It does make a difference. The, the, the Fed's policy does make a difference, so it's worth keeping an eye on. Make a difference in your in your process or just in general. It makes a difference in economic outcomes. Right. Long-term economic outcomes. But when you're going down the list... No, I'm, 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 a, I'm a bottoms-up individual company investor. You're a bottoms-up mixed with a top-down. That's what you are. I'm not. That's, I don't even know where you're getting that from. You know, the, the thing about this is that it's not about Yellen going off-script. It's not about Yellen going off-script. It's about the fact that people read too much into what the Fed says, whether that be Yellen or whether that be anybody else. 
Uh, it's just not that necessary to try to read through. It's not even reading between the lines. It's reading between every single word. And, you know, for her to come out and say, yeah, you know, raise rates in about six months or so. Okay, that makes sense. If you, if you look at, if you look at the, the pace of the way things are going, it's not, not out of the ballpark, and everybody freaks out. I don't get it. I really don't understand why people read so much into it, because if you listen to any successful investor, and I'm talking successful investors who have been successful over multiple cycles, successful in bear markets, successful in bull markets, over 20, 30-year periods, none of them base their investment decisions on what the Fed says in a transcript. But apparently, show I, me one. Uh, apparently, I do. If although I guess oh, I, I was just joking. But seriously, not one of you never hear Warren Buffett talk about that. You never hear Joel Greenblatt talk about what the Fed's doing. They just don't do it. So I don't understand why other people think, oh, that's the way you need to be successful. You have to read the tea leaves with the Fed. I don't get it. It's easy. It makes good news headlines. Yeah. So let's stop talking about it. <laughs> Third headline of the day. We're finishing off with the Wall Street Journal. Headline is Growth Hungry Banks Strike a Union. That's clever. It's clever the way they did that yeah. with Union because it's with Western Union. So apparently the, the number of banks that, have, uh, that offer Western Union services now has exploded over the last uh, few years. Mm-hmm. I think it's up about five-fold. I think it was either three- or five-year period that they were looking at, up about five-fold. And this is a way the article was talking about this is the banks get a cut of the fees that Western Union gets, but then it also brings people into the bank branches, and those can potentially become customers. Right. I think this is, I, to me, it's a fine idea, right? And some so of the banks was, are doing, what was it, like Fifth Third? Uh, it was more the regional banks than the big ones, right? Right. Okay. Although they were actually talking about the big banks, so uh, Bank of America um, and J.P. Morgan, or, or J.P. Morgan, I think, was offering its own kind of Western Union-like service and discontinued it because yeah. there wasn't, just wasn't that much much interest. It wasn't good for them. So for the regionals, I think it's fine. It's okay. On the margin, it's, it's extra, extra fees and income. But the extra people, the, the people that are going to be coming into the branches to use this to, to receive the money, um, who ostensibly are the potential new customers, mm-hmm. these are the underbanked and the unbanked. And to me, if that's not a core part of your business, if your business isn't focused on serving the underbanked and unbanked, it's not necessarily going to be the kind of customers that you want. Yeah. So, so from that perspective, it, it doesn't really move the needle for me. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I agree. And kind of changing lanes a little bit with J.P. Morgan, I just thought of this when you said that they had a similar service and they discontinued. And we saw the same thing. They tried to do a, a prepaid program mm-hmm. that they said, well, it's not really working out. We're going to not really push that anymore. We also saw J.P. Morgan file somewhat of a patent over, over a kind of Bitcoin type right. service. It's interesting to see that J.P. Morgan is making kind of little bets in terms Throwing of... Throwing spaghetti at the wall. Yeah, I mean, I respect that. They're trying new things to see mm-hmm. maybe this will become something. So trying all these services, probably not going to be super high margin businesses that are going to move the needle, but it's nice to see that they're trying new things at least. Maybe it could that. be over the long term. Yeah. Get something that's better than Bitcoin. Get something that, that doesn't have... Diamond coin. Diamond coin, I love it. I love it. It's a competitor to Coinye West. Yes, exactly. All right, moving on to the focus for the week. The focus for, the, uh, for today, the focus for today is the week ahead. We'll take a quick look at what we are expecting for the week ahead. I'll start with a quick rundown of the economic calendar. You can let me know if there's any of these that, that you're looking at in particular. We've got Case-Shiller Home Price Index coming out tomorrow. Uh, also tomorrow, new home sales for the, the previous month. 
uh, durable goods uh, orders coming out on Wednesday. That's like big ticket items that mm-hmm. last long time that you don't consume like quickly. Milk. milk would be an example of a non-durable okay. good. Very good. That works. Very good. Non-durable milk. <laughs> Unless you have some kind of weird... Powder milk. <laughs> Parmalat. I wonder if Parmalat is considered a durable good. I don't even know what that is. Good. You don't know what Parmalat is? It's like milk that has an infinite shelf life or something. Gross. Yeah, tastes like milk. Uh, and finally, the third estimate of GDP on Thursday. For, like, first quarter for, 2011? For fourth quarter. Okay. For fourth quarter. They do so many revisions. I don't know which one we're on. Le- the last revision of GDP down to 2.6%. That was, it, if, I, if my memory serves, it was at, like, 3.1% or something mm-hmm. like that, down to 2.6%. Hopefully, stick right around that 2.6% uh, line there. Maybe even a little bit of an uptick. Any of these, any of these events really make a difference to you? Uh, not too much. The, the Case-Shiller numbers, I think those are for December, so we're still lagging behind with those. Those take a while to come out. Uh, we're not going to see much of a big change. We're still going to see the double-digit year-over-year increases until about the May-June numbers. So looking at December from December 2012, mm-hmm. we're still going to see that double-digit increase. So when you see these numbers, just know... Okay, that's the numbers now, but once we get to May, June, that's going to start to slow a little bit. Why do you say that? Well, if you kind of look at where housing prices were in June of last year, okay, they made a significant jump from December of 2012. Gotcha. So you're going off a much lower base mm-hmm. uh, in, these, in these December So the, you're saying there's a higher hurdle for higher growth? Yes, there will be a higher hurdle. We're not going to continue to see 13% year-over-year growth in Case-Shiller once we get to May and June. Oh, you have little faith. And finally, I, I think... Unarguably, the big event of the week for us in particular, uh, the results from the Comprehensive Capital Analysis and Review, the CCAR. Mm -hmm. This is the Federal Reserve releasing the the, kind of the follow-up results to the Dodd-Frank stress test we saw last week, but then also passing judgment, uh, Mm -hmm. giving a thumbs up, thumbs down on the capital planning actions of the banks and capital planning actions. That's a little jargony. That means dividends. I mean, share buybacks, can they do them? Mm-hmm. So what, do you, what, do you, what, what scares you about the results that are going to come out this Wednesday? What scares you about it? What are you optimistic about? I'm not getting scared, but I think they're going to be more exciting than they thought they were. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to get the stress test and everyone's capital ratios were going to look unbelievable. It's going to be kind of, a, eh, they're going to breeze through the C-car. Now it's, it's a little bit more interesting. A little bit, little bit scary. That 14 seed is making it more interesting in here. Uh, so looking at Bank of America and even J.P. Morgan, I'm pretty interested to see what J.P. Morgan does with their capital plan. Last year, they got a conditional approval, mm-hmm. and their plans they had to go back and rework some of the ways they were planning out things. So it's, it'll be interesting to see where J.P. Morgan is looking to go this year because uh, their capital levels were very very similar to last year's stress test. So not much has changed in terms of that. And they bumped up things nicely for investors last year, for sure. Right, but it was much, much lower than... 2012. Their plans for 2012, which Mm -hmm. had to be cut short because of the London Whale incident. They had a huge buyback program uh, that they had to pare back significantly. So I'm very interested to see where do they stand today? Are they able to bump that up significantly again? So that's one that I'm definitely watching. How about Bank of America? Does Bank of America worry you? Because I think there there are a lot of expectations floating around that Bank of America is going to have a significant uh, dividend increase. And when we look at the results from the, Dodd, the Dodd-Frank stress tests compared to last year, 
it's questionable how much flexibility, how much room Bank of America has to, uh, to increase its dividend. Can I put on a reckless prediction hat? Give me, give me your most, the I don't most like to reckless, reckless prediction. prediction. Maybe not reckless, but even if Bank of America does not ask for a dividend, I don't think we're going to see the shares fall 10% or anything. I don't think it's going to be a drastic thing because I think investors know that Bank of America's it's a longer-term story than just whether they can pay a two-cent dividend from a one-cent dividend today. So I really if, don't think it moves the needle that much. If B of A doesn't increase the dividend at all from it's four cents a year right now, right? Four cents a year. If they don't inc- increase it at all, how much do shares fall? I don't think they should fall. You don't think they... I'm not saying should. There are a lot of shoulds in this I'm world. saying they won't. I'm saying will. You're saying, saying they, they won't. won't. You're saying they won't fall. I mean, you never really know what's going to... Like, the market will... You never know. But I'm saying they should not because it's really not material. Because all the increase... You're saying they will not. You said the increased again. dividend really should just be a signal that the bank's healthy and can start to return more capital. It's really not the absolute returns of a eight cent annual dividend rather than a four. That doesn't make that big of a difference, right? So it's really just more of a signal that the bank's healthy and is able to do it. So, so don't you absolute, want that sing- signal? Looking at Why the, don't you want that signal? Looking at the numbers, I don't think it's going to impact that much. Do you? I mean, do you think it would really be a bad thing if they don't? Well, here's the, the bigger question for me is. Should they raise the dividend as opposed to taking any extra money that they would be using for a higher dividend and putting it towards share buybacks? You could make that case. I could. I will make that case. Okay. I, I, th- I think the valuation is such and the, the, the ramp, the, the, the continued spring back from the financial crisis is such that I think right now banks have not been known, big banks, and let's, let's be honest, most big companies in general, most companies in general haven't been good at share buybacks. Mm-hmm. But this, would be, this is a good time for Bank of America, I think, to be buying back shares. So I'd prefer to see more buybacks from Bank of America as opposed to being worried about a, a higher dividend. That, that would be nice. I would mm-hmm. love to see e- each bank not just come out with a cookie cutter. We're going to have this much of share buybacks. We're going to increase the dividend this much. I'd like to hear some rationale behind it of them actually saying, we think our shares are attractive, so we're not going to ask for a dividend. But J.P. Morgan already said in the, in the annual investor day, exactly. they made a case for how cheap their shares are. So... Would you be disappointed if, if more J.P. Morgan capital went towards a higher dividend versus putting it into buybacks? Not disappointed, but I, I would like to see them aggressively buy back their shares. I don't want to see them just buy back their shares and then kind of take that right back by issuing options for their executives. So I want to see them actually do something with the share count. But yes, I would like to see that. Finally, Citigroup. Do you think, th- is it finally time for Citigroup to shine a little bit during the C-Car. Citigroup was the original slap in the face during the C-Car stress test results. This is back in the Vikram Pandit days mm-hmm. when he went for uh, a dividend increase and the Fed said, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And it looked terrible for Citigroup. Citigroup struggling to come back, but the capital levels look impressive at this mm-hmm. point. They're looking really good. So is this time for Michael Corbett to step up and say, We've rebuilt the capital levels. The bank is on firmer footing. We're going to raise the dividend. We're going to do more share buybacks. And, and, and again, you can have that same. It's maybe even more for Citigroup yeah. than Bank of America that buybacks may be a better option mm-hmm. at this point. To get some of that dilution back, we talked about, I talked about it last week. I think Huge shares are up 6x from 2008. So maybe that would be the better move to try to get some of that back. Because I know you personally think that shares are undervalued there as well. I think significantly. Okay. But... but what do you, is this the time for Corbett to get aggressive? No. Again, 
I, I don't think you need to. And if the market freaks out for that, that's very short-sighted, in my opinion. There you go. I agree. <laughs> we have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. Let's go to the mailbag. Today's mailbag comes from Don Brewer in Indiana. Basketball state there, Indiana. Don says, someone asked me if I filled out a bracket. Why would I do that? I then thought what it might look like if I could get a stock or mutual fund fantasy league together, only to then realize that there already is one. They call it the market, and instead of meaningless ball games, they trade pieces of ownership of companies. Point is, I'll save my money, thank you very much, and probably be much better off for it. But with that said, I'll take Berkshire about even with Markel going into the half. David, we started the show talking about our mm-hmm. uh, NCAA brackets, but not surprisingly here at The Motley Fool, we have a stock bracket. Mm-hmm. We have an NCAA-style stock bracket. We've got a... Uh, Printed out right here. We've been running the matchups for a few weeks now yep. on Fool.com. Who is your pick to come out on top for the Motley Fool Bracket Showdown? My formal pick from before the bracket started was GE, and they should be moving into the Sweet 16 today. And we should say these are articles up on Fool.com. We'll link out to the bracket on our Twitter page if you mm-hmm. want to go find it. And the readers vote on which stock is the better buy now. So at the beginning of the uh, tournament, I said, I think GE has the legs to get to the finals and win it all. Who are you going with? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with an, an interesting pick here, and it's based a lot on how the winners are picked, and that's on who's the fan favorite, how, mm-hmm. much, how much excitement the readers can get on it. So I'm going to go with SiriusXM. SiriusXM has a, a very strong, avid, you might even say rabid following. So I think on the back of that, Sirius has a good chance of, of taking, the, uh, taking the prize home here. They were matched up against Annaly Capital Management in the round of 32. Should easily win that matchup based on what we've seen so far. Should be moving on to the Sweet 16. So, so Annaly's, Annaly's a tough one to yeah, take. They crushed it. So yeah, we will tweet out the link. Go check it out. Vote on your favorite. Should be interesting. All right, game for today. Game for today, we've got a little bit of a stock quiz here. Mm-hmm. So we've got four questions to each Multiple choice. See if we can trying to uh, stump you. Try, see if we can stump each other. We're gonna keep a record of this too to see who has the better. Are we really the scores here? Yeah, just thought of that. <laughs> just Hold you accountable. You didn't tell me that before the show. I right. made your questions harder. <laughs> First question. From 1990 to 2000, AIG had a combined ratio greater than 100 blank times. So 10, 10 11 years. years. Eleven years. Eleven years. I'm gonna go with C six times. That is incorrect. The answer is A, only two times. Only two times. Only two times in the 11 years from 1990 to end of 2000. Combined ratio over 100. So this shows me a couple things. That a good company, a well-run company, can quickly turn into a not-so-good company Mm -hmm. if they get their hands on the wrong thing, if the wrong wrong management team's at the top. But it also shows you that maybe they can make it back to being a decent insurer there. So I thought that was... Hank Greenberg. Yeah. Getting it done. Indeed. Jeez. All right, my first question for you. We've got, of Citigroup's CEO's 2013 pay, blank was in deferred stock that's dependent on multi-year future performance of the bank. A is 12%, B is 23%, C is 32%, and D is 54%. Going to go with C, 32%. That is incorrect. 
it is actually D, 54%. So we've heard a lot of talk about Michael Corbett's bigger pay package in 2013, uh, $14.5 million. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is in deferred stock and, uh, and, and share grants that he only gets as they vest uh, based on Citigroup performance, future Citigroup performance. So Stock performance, or is it based on another metric? Or? A combination of metrics. Okay. So Citigroup's actually got to perform for Corbett to get paid out and all that. That's ideal. It is. Third question. Last time, I'm going to stump you here. True or false one, so you got a 50% shot. That's nice. Bank of America shrunk its share count at a greater rate than Wells Fargo in 2013. True or false? I'll go with true. That is true. Bank of America's share count fell by around 2%, whereas Wells Fargo, essentially flat, down just just very slightly. So again, I just talked about if you're going to do share buybacks, I want to see the share count actually come down mm-hmm. because that's what impacts book value per share. That's what impact, impacts the stock price there. So Bank of America actually shrinking the share count. Wells Fargo, of course, paying a lot more in dividends. Paying more dividends, but... Uh, Bank of America also diluted their shareholders a little bit more than Wells Fargo. Just, 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 a, just, a, just a All right, so you got that one. All right, final question. For the full year 2013, National Bank of Greece reported a, and the, we, we don't have the euro symbol in there, but that's euros, a $1 billion loss, a $327 million uh, or million euro loss, a 34 million euro profit, or an 809 million euro profit. I really don't know, but I'm going to go with D, a 809 euro profit. 809 million euro profit. Million euro profit. You are actually correct. They had to have some tax in there, right? There there actually wasn't. There there were some reversals in there based on the the increased, uh, or the the lowered credit spreads, I think it was, of Greek government bonds. So so there's some benefits from that. But the performance of the bank is actually starting to turn around. You've got lower loss provisions, you've got revenue ticking up a little bit, and you've got some actions on uh, the expense side helping out the bank as well. So big profit <clears throat> for 2013. Maybe things are starting to turn around for National Bank of Greece. All right, well, we both got 50%. Tied. Good, good calculations there, on the fly. Until next week. On the fly. You're, you're a good numbers guy. Finishing off on the Twitter sphere. David, what is our first tweet? First tweet is from Ken Brown, at KenBrown12. He says, Fang Fang, J.P. Morgan executive linked to Princeling Probe to quit. He's out. Investment banking executive here. Concerned? People are leaving. Proof positive. Proof positive that J.P. Morgan is, is riddled with, with deceit. What I don't like about this is that the, the report around Fang Fang's departure um, is that he, this is personal reasons. He's, he's leaving for personal reasons. He wants more time. He wants to spend time with family, all that kind of stuff. The guy's, I think, only 46 years old. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Investment banking years, that's like 98, though. That, that, is, that is old in investment banking years, but you don't hear very many investment bankers at 46 who are raking in the money say, eh, 46, I'm going to cash it in. I'm going to spend yeah. more time with my family. That's not how you get to where Fang Fang is, that kind of, that kind of mentality. So you're not buying it. You're not buying the personal reasons. No, no. This, this has to do with the recruiting. This has to do with the, um, the unsightly things that J.P. Morgan has been accused of doing in China. But hopefully this is a sign that J.P. Morgan is taking that seriously and making moves. I wonder how many times people say they're leaving for personal reasons. It's actually 
the complete opposite. Most of the time. Like 98. I would say about 98%. That's fair. Okay. Let's see, about 98%. Second tweet. This is from Johnny at MoneyWonk. At TMF Financials, currently a bubble in articles claiming stocks aren't in a bubble because too many pundits keep calling it a bubble. Currently, it's a tongue twister. Currently a bubble in articles claiming stocks aren't in a bubble because too many bu- pundits keep calling it a bubble. You get it? Kind of. There's a lot of articles claiming that we're not in a bubble uh-huh. because so many people keep saying that we're in a bubble. Which could only mean... We're in a bubble. We're in a bubble. <laughs> I think so. This is, like, this is like bubbles inside of bubbles. The whole thing is going to... Just a bubble. Bubble there's a, boy. There's a bubble in bubble talk. Yeah. I, I, said this, I said this years ago in an article, and the same holds true today. There's a bubble in bubble talk. It's a cool word. Comes off, the, it? comes off the mouth really easily. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how I do my financial analysis. Yeah. Is the word involved... Easy to say. Fun to say. That's usually... That works. Okay. Final tweet. Final tweet is from Alex Plains at TMF Bagels. He says, Sector-themed ties are in at The Motley Fool, thanks to Matt Kopenheffer and Taylor Muckerman. Taylor's our energy analyst. So here's one for TMF NewCow. That's Evan New, our tech sector bureau chief. And we have a picture of this tie here that we definitely need to get, Evan. You buying that? That is. What is that? How would you describe the inside of a computer? That's a it's circuitry, circuit chips, or integrated circuits on a tie. I knew you knew that. Yeah. Of course I would. What What is your next sector-related tie? Well, I've got the bulls and bears. Dick folds face on a tie. Yes, that that would be it. Or or Brian Moynihan would be Mm. the better one. Exciting, just energy. A tie made out of his flowing hair. (laughs) Energy just popping out of the tie. Get it? I'll get it for you. If you can find a, 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 a tie with Brian Moynihan's face on it... You'll wear it? I will wear it, 1,000%. Challenge accepted. All right, that is, that is the show for today. Uh, you can find us on iTunes if you're not already listening on the podcast form. Great way to start your day with your commute. Uh, and give us a rating while you're there. Why? Because you love us. For now, I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.